Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Goals on Film, Edge of the Crowd's dedicated sports movies podcast. I'm your host, Jason, and I've got Stewie with me today. How are you? I'm good, thanks, mate. I'm excited to uh, get into the podcast. Goals on Film is almost my favourite time of the week, mate, and we've got a fantastic movie to talk about. Um, why don't you let us all know what uh, what movie we're doing this week, mate? Well, first of all, I'm glad that uh, it's an enjoyable part of your week that you look forward to, and I hope that all our valued listeners look forward to each week as well. So hope that that's no different today. Uh, this week we have for you it is the Women's Rugby Union World Cup that is on this week, and so we are taking a look at a rugby union film that is 2009 biographical drama Invictus. The story is based on a 2008 John Carlin book called Playing the Enemy, Nelson Mandela and the Game That Made a Nation. But to give you a bit more of a synopsis about the film, it focuses on the events in South Africa before and during the 1995 Rugby World Cup. Nelson Mandela had just won the presidency in South Africa and took a great deal of interest in the nation's rugby union team, the Springboks, helping them prepare for the World Cup in the fall of the apartheid and mixed feeling about the team and Mandela's reign uh, in the presidential role. The Springboks go to the World Cup having gained automatic qualification as it's being hosted in their home country. The team defies expectations to reach the final as well against the New Zealand All Blacks and in an extra time thriller, South Africa prevailed 15-12 to unite the nation and celebrate their first World Cup title. So, Stewie, with all that in mind and having watched the movie, what are your thoughts on it overall? Uh, like, I, like I intimated in the intro, mate, uh, I dug it. It is it, a great movie. It's a great cast. Clint Eastwood is a uh, fantastic director. Um, he rarely misses. Um, he was a terrific actor in his day, which was a long time ago now. But uh, he uh, he rarely misses when he's behind the uh, behind the lens. Is that the uh, is that the terminology? Yeah. Um, and uh, this is no this is no exception. Um, Morgan Freeman as Nelson Mandela was fantastic. We spoke a little bit before we started recording about uh, who else could possibly play Nelson Mandela. Fantastic uh, casting there. Matt Damon was really good. Um, I had a little bit of an issue with uh, some South African accents, particularly um, Nelson Mandela's secretary. Uh, she was exceptionally poor. Um, I've since found out she was a British actress and has made a bit of a name for herself in the show Bridgerton um, recently. Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. Um, I guess we can give her a pass for that. Um, but otherwise... Everything I love about sports movies, Jace. Um, it had uh, it had a really solid backstory. It had an underdog team, um, and uh, and they prevailed in the end. And uh, I love all of that, mate. How about you? How did you like the flick? Yeah, I think like all those elements combined to make a really good film and more. Um, I think that for me, like the imagery of it all was just like beautiful. Like every single shot was just. Um, you know, excellent, whether it was rugby related, whether it was Nelson Mandela related, um, just anything. I thought that, yeah, all those camera angles, all of those shots just like contributed to telling the story in a really important way. And like, you know, make yourself like part, like, you know, feel like you're actually there. Um, I feel like mm -hmm. all of those camera shots, um, you know, gave that sort of impression. Um, I thought that the music that was used with throughout the film um, was really sort of like moody or like tailored to a specific 
uh, scene or something that was happening in the movie. And so I thought like the music in it like really painted a picture of how you should how you should probably feel like within that moment. And then that leads me on to like saying that this film was like it made you feel a bit emotional at like you know every sort of point as well like whether it was at the start and you did um you know have Nelson Mandela's presidency being announced and the reactions to that and you know the flow on effects of that as well um and just like you know understanding what was happening in South Africa at the time and then uh, you know in the build-up to the World Cup and then that World Cup as well you know there were a few emotional scenes there and I think it is just a testament to, like you said, um, Clint Eastwood in his uh, directing, um, Morgan Freeman, Matt Damon and the like in terms of their acting. I think that um, every part of that, every part of that partnership uh, just worked on so many levels and it contributed to a really, really good movie. Yeah, absolutely. One thing that struck me while I was watching it, um, and I know it was Morgan Freeman playing Nelson Mandela, right? So I'm sure there's some... artistic embellishments going on within the story. Although I did read that Nelson Mandela said it was 98% uh, accurate. So that's interesting. Uh, one thing that struck me was, uh, you know, the political landscape of the world. Um, listen to Edge of the Election for more intelligent comments on on politics on the Edge of the Crowd Network. But just for me, the, the political landscape of the world is, is, is a pretty shaky place at best. And we've got dubious characters in uh in positions of power and uh i was struck by just the thought crossed my mind many times like how much better would the world be if we had more leaders that had uh that had you know the same traits as nelson mandela Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was really uh, wondering that myself throughout the movie and, uh, you know, for all the sort of like good that he did and, you know, the reactions, whether good or bad, um, you know, especially at sporting events. And, you know, I think like in Australia, especially we've seen a bit of, uh, you know, uh, you know, bad reactions to politicians at sporting events sometimes. Um,
uh, we have the Springboks playing a game of rugby. Um, and this is uh, presented as the first game that they play after being readmitted to the world stage post-apartheid. Um, and it is being depicted as being against England. In fact, it was actually the All Blacks or the New Zealand All Blacks that the Springboks played on the 15th of August, 1992. Um, and so got that wrong a bit, but um, I think that, yeah, it sort of played into the story as well. Um, you know, them playing England at the start um, in this mm -hmm. match. And I think there was a comment saying, you know, you know, this was the team that beat us by so many when they were losing to another team in the semis or the quarters of the World Cup. Um, and so, like, I think, like, this obviously spurred on that comment. But I think that it's interesting to note that this game was against the All Blacks and then they played the All Blacks in the final of the World Cup. Yeah, I think they were saving that Jonah Lomu, that Jonah Lomu dead ringer. Um, mm. They wanted to save that for the uh, for the final, I think. I think that's what was happening there. Yeah, maybe. Uh, so in the World Cup itself, after the Australian match, the Springboks' next two matches are shown to be against Western Samoa and France. In fact, these were their quarterfinal and semifinal matchups. The Springboks played Romania and Canada after Australia in the pool stage. I've read a comment that this could have been deliberate on part of the filmmakers because the punch-up uh, against at the end of the Canada match would not have been in the spirit of the film. Oh, right. Okay. That's, uh, that's very interesting. One thing while you're touching on the rugby union world cup here, um, they're running through the scores later in the movie, uh, the all black scores. Mm -hmm. Did they really score 145 points against Japan? The all blacks beat Ireland 43 to 19. I see. They beat Wales 34 to nine. I see. They beat Japan 145 to 17. 145 points in one match? It's a new international record. Yeah, absolutely. 145 to 17, I think it was. I believe it remains actually one of the top uh, highest scoring so, uh, highest scoring team totals uh, in like international competition. Um, it isn't actually the highest winning margin. Um, at all you would think that 145 to 17 would be but it's actually Australia that holds that title they won 142 to zero over Namibia um, in 2003. Uh, <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> the, only the only record that I can find that beats New Zealand's um, was in 2015 when Royal Katuro beat uh, Soignies. Uh Sorry that if I got any of those wrong but it was a match he played in Belgium um, Roy Coutinho, I'll, I'll say uh, Soigny's score first. It was three. Do you okay. Guess, do you want to actually guess what Roy Coutinho's score was? Okay, so it was bigger than the All Black score. Bigger than 145. Let's go, let's go 180. Uh, no. Pretty much okay. double that, really. Really? Yeah, 356. <laughs> Holy crap, that is out of control. <laughs> At what point do you just uh, put the mercy rule in play? Pretty much. Um, <laughs> I do have some backstory about why it was such a large margin. Um, okay, let us know about it, mate. Yeah, so things began to turn sour for Soignies before the match even began. 
The referee who was allocated to the match failed to show up, and after an hour-long delay, a number of their players decided to leave. And so this left the team short on player numbers. And following 80 minutes uh, was just Roro Couturo scoring 56 tries and 38 convergence, as Soignies carried out their own protest at the no-show from the ref by just standing and letting Roro Couturo score. Ah, oh, come on. Have some pride in the jumper, boys. <laughs> My goodness. I, I don't know how they managed to get three points then if that's, if that's all they were doing. <laughs> At some point, there was one person there that was like, we can't let this happen. We yeah. can't let this happen. But yeah, so in terms of like all the scores that were referenced uh, throughout the film, whether they were uh, South African scores, New Zealand scores, all of the scores that they gave um, and, you know, most of the opponents um, were, you know, factually correct. Like they were the actual scores of those particular games that they were talking about. Um, and obviously throughout the World Cup um, and the final series. Incredible. That's incredible. <laughs> uh, just continuing a bit of the backstory about this World Cup. Um, in the movie, the Springboks jogged out onto the field before the All Blacks in the final. In the actual... 1995 World Cup, both teams jogged out onto the field together and during the playing of the national anthems, Nelson Mandela was shown to be up in the stands when he was on the field in real life. I gotcha. Um, I do, I, do um, I was 12 when this World Cup was played and um, I'm not a huge rugby fan these days but uh, back then, any World Cup that was on, I was all about it and uh, it was an excuse to stay up late, I suppose and uh, I did watch the final, I don't have real clear memories of it, but I was thinking, I thought Nelson Mandela was a little bit more front and centre during the National Anthem. Um, mm. But I thought that was my memory playing tricks on me, but it uh, turns out it wasn't. No, it definitely wasn't at all. Yeah, so this uh, Rugby World Cup was actually the first where every match was held in one country. Um, and as we sort of established as well, it was the first World Cup that South Africa was able to compete in. Um as the International Rugby Football Board, um, now known as World Rugby, had only readmitted them into international rugby in 1992 following negotiations to end the apartheid. And so the event was also the last major event of rugby union's amateur era, as two months mm -hmm. later, the uh, football board opened the sport up to professionalism. Interesting. I think like one of the like most memorable scenes from uh, this particular game and, you know, in real life and in this movie is the scene of Nelson Mandela in a Springboks jersey and a cricket cap presenting the Webb Alice Cup to South African captain um, Francois um, Pinet. I want to thank you for what you have done for our country. Oh, Mr. President, thank you for what you have done for our country. It became an iconic moment in the history of the sport, especially as it was to the delight of a capacity crowd at home. And the moment is thought to be one of the most famous finals of any sport. Yeah, I would agree with that. It is, uh, it is an image that, uh, that sticks in your head for sure. It's one of those iconic sporting moments. However, the aftermatch mood, amongst all the celebrations as well, the aftermatch mood soured a little during the end of the tournament banquet when South Africa's rugby president, Louis Lutz, said in his final speech that there were no true world champions in the 1987 and 1991 World Cups because South Africa were not there. 
<laughs> this claim that South Africa were essentially the first true world champions led the New Zealand team to walk out of the dinner. Oh, wow. Okay. It's uh, how to make friends and influence people. Pretty much. And uh, as a result of this as well, um, the movie didn't really enjoy widespread support in New Zealand following its release because it avoided illustrating the food poisoning rampant amongst the All Black squad before the final and obviously um, this instance after the final as well. And so before the final, most of the All Blacks players taking part um, in the game left the field to vomit on the sidelines during the course of the match, thus undermining the running style of tactical play used by the New Zealand team and favouring the South African game largely focused around points uh, from forcing penalties. Um, yeah, so international intentional food poisoning on the part of the hotel staff the new zealand team uh has been has been investigated and it was found inconclusive by those conducting the investigation um so it's really interesting um this issue was raised by journalists following the movies released um the omission of this and clint eastwood is reported as avoiding questions from new zealanders at related press conferences so a bit of a touchy subject i think and didn't want to touch it well, listen, at the risk of alienating all of our thousands of listeners that listen just across the Tasman there, I've got to say, mate, just take the loss on the chin. This sounds like a, uh, this just sounds like an excuse. You lost to the better team on the day. And uh, if they did have food poisoning, um, they didn't have to look far. Michael Jordan had food poisoning and absolutely dominated the Utah Jazz. So, um, you know, weak excuse. Next. <laughs> <laughs> all right well that's all on the world cup itself we move now to morgan freeman and his portrayal of nelson mandela and so morgan freeman and his producing partner laurie mccreary had actually been trying to develop a movie about nelson mandela for several years they were trying to adapt his biography long walk to freedom but since the story spans many decades they felt it was impossible to completely translate this into a feature film and so before production began, um, Freeman and McCreary visited South Africa to get Nelson Mandela's blessing for the movie. And according to McCreary, Freeman started off by saying, Madiba, we've been working a long time on this other project, but we've just read something that we think might get to the core of who you are. Before he had finished, uh, Mandela said, ah, the World Cup. And uh, for McCreary, that was the moment when uh, she knew that they were heading in the right direction for this movie. Absolutely. That's, uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's an incredible story. Um, you know, um, yeah, yeah. I still, I feel like I would have liked to have seen the adaptation of his biography as well, though. Yeah, I mean, you definitely might get that one day, I reckon. Just some more about uh, Nelson Mandela himself. Um, when uh, Francois calls on uh, Nelson Mandela, um, you know, Nelson asks him to sit in a certain chair so he won't have to stare into the sunlight when they talk. Uh, please sit. Uh, take this one. Looking into the light hurts my eyes. Yep. There is actually a reason behind this. And so I was wondering about that. Well, what is the reason, Jason? I, I knew yeah. you'd have the answer to this. <laughs> so during his years of imprisonment on Robben Island, Mandela, like the other inmates, were forced to work in the island's lime quarry. Prisoners weren't allowed to protect their eyes from the sunlight that bounced off the white stone, and years of such exposure 
exposure led to permanent vision damage and sensitivity to sunlight. Yeah, right. Wow. A couple of scenes we saw uh, relating to Nelson Mandela's house. And so the exterior scenes of Nelson Mandela's house were done at his actual residence in Johannesburg. However, unfortunately, the interior shots were just at a random house in Cape Town. Um, so that was a bit, uh, you know, unsettling to see. Um, but the scenes of his office mm -hmm. was filmed in the offices of the Union Buildings, the seat of government in the capital city of Pretoria. Um, it marked the first time any movie had actually been filmed there, which is pretty cool. Wow, that's incredible. What about the exterior shots? Were they of the actual, you know, um, presidential quarters in South Africa? Because that exterior was incredible, man. Yeah, no, it was a really nice site. Um, I believe it was. Um, yeah, right. Wow. Actually, just going back to the Rugby World Cup, um, if we can, just because my notes bring us back there. Um, yep. The scene where the aeroplane flew over the stadium actually happened in real life. Oh, wow. Final approach, Captain. Let it be noted that I'm taking control of the aircraft. Duly noted. I take full responsibility for what happens from now on. Do you see that jet? To the east. Did I get clearance for this? Not from us. Wazy. VIP folks. Let's get him out of there now. No time. Yeah, and so it was actually a planned event um, in real life, unlike it appearing to be staged in the film. So one of the sponsors of Rugby World of the Rugby World Cup, um, South African Airways, Airways had their jet, which had the message painted on it, fly over the stadium twice in an effort to energize the crowd. Um, South Africa Airways did use Chester Williams as a promotional ambassador, but his face was never on the side of the plane. Um, as it was in the movie. Um, and yeah, that's that's that. Uh, yeah, so just continuing on from this uh, plane event, this staged plane event, uh, plane mm -hmm. plane event um, during the World Cup final, security men were shocked to see what was uh, the low-flying jet, um, only to see it harmless, that was in the movie, when in reality all security staff were briefed about the jet's manoeuvres that were planned for the day. So there wasn't that... Uh, yeah, shock um, at uh, a plane heading straight for the stadium. Yeah, that plane looked awfully low as well. Like it looked particularly close to the stadium. I would have been, planned or not, I would have been freaking out if I was in that crowd. Absolutely, yeah. I was surprised that like, yeah, a lot of people, like, they didn't show many shots of the crowd being freaked out. It was just like focused on the security guys. Like, you know, if the security guys were saying that, then the crowd were as well. And, you know, I probably would have been racing towards the uh, exits in that case if I saw a plane coming. But no, they just saw it go uh, on its merry way and uh, <laughs> clapped at uh, the spectacle. <laughs>
Uh, all of the rugby games in this movie were filmed at Johannesburg's Alice Park Stadium, where they had actually been played. Much of the stadium has changed since 1995, so James uh, J. Murakami um, gathered extensive research to take the venue back to the way that it looked, including appropriate signage of the times, and computer graphics were later employed to complete the effect, um, including the crowd as well. I think I saw that there were... 2,000 extras that were in the crowd um, and then about 60,000 that were added as CGI as well. Ah, okay. It did look very much of its time. I even, I was I was trying to see the hoardings and what they said and stuff and there was even a uh, sign that was promoting the 1999 World Cup in Wales. Yeah, that's right. There was. Um, some people do like, you know, when they look at this movie, um, you know, put this off as a mistake because, um, you know, like World Cups are announced sort of like, you know, four years, five, maybe six years in advance, um, I think. Or maybe I'm just like talking, thinking about like the FIFA World Cup. But, um, yeah, I don't know uh, when it was announced that Wales were the host of the 1999 World Cup, um, especially when you do think about uh, South Africa only being readmitted to World Rugby in 1992 and so two years before. Um, mm -hmm. and you know when they might have made that decision um, and so yeah I don't know the timeline of that but um, yeah apparently that um, particular uh, signage about the next World Cup like was actually on show at the real event too. Yeah right incredible that's great attention to detail. Continuing the attention to detail costume designer Deborah Hopper um, had to bring back the look of 1995 in regards to the Springbok uniforms, since the current team's outfits are not the same. She said, there is a lot of difference in the uniforms. In 1995, the shorts were much shorter and the jerseys were cut fuller and boxier and the fabric they used at that time was cotton, now it's synthetic. We had to have the fabric specially knitted for us and Hopper uh, and her team had to duplicate the uniforms of the other teams, including the logos, many of which have also changed. And so... I think that, uh, yeah, it was really good to get those um, as accurate as possible. Um, I think that the only inaccuracy in terms of the uniforms for the Springboks was that in 1995, there was a golden collar on their uh, jersey rather than an orange shade, um, or that had an orange shade rather than the yellow colour that was shown in the film. Um, this particular design wasn't introduced until later. Yeah, right. Okay. Well, that's a shocking uh, mistake. I take back what I said about the great attention to detail. How dare they mess up the collars? Everyone knows that's the most important part of a rugby jersey. Uh, near the end of the movie, Francois mentions Nelson Mandela's 30 years in that cell, referencing his visit to Mandela's cell on Robben Island. In fact, um, and actually, like, they did actually go to the prison in Robben Island that Mandela was imprisoned in. So what they used to do, they used to smuggle gravel in from the yard, throw it across the floor, and they could hear the wardens coming. Oh, wow. Can we see the president's cell? Yes, yes, of course. Lauren, can you believe this? Now, the, the number on the door, 46664, means he was the 466th prisoner to be interned here in 1964. You've done it up just the way it was. And so, like, that was the real prison. Um, I don't believe it was the real cell. Um, they made that up to look like it was. Um, 
mm-hmm. back when Nelson Mandela was in prison there. But in fact, Mandela spent about 17 and a half of his 27 years of imprisonment in the cell on Robben Island. Um, he was in prison in Johannesburg and then Pretoria for about a year and a half during his trial, then sent to Robben Island for 17 and a half years. He was moved to Polesmore Prison for six years, then to Victor Burstner Prison for two years until his release. When Mandela's earlier arrests and imprisonments are factored in, um, he did spend about a collective 30 years in prison. It just wasn't at uh, Robben Island for those whole 30 years. Yeah, that's uh, it just it, it adds to the story, you know, of yeah. uh, the real life story of Nelson Mandela. Um, it's just it's a fascinating one. Yeah, that's right. Um, and we'll just maybe end on the a poem uh, by William Ernest Henley, which was titled Invictus, um, which is obviously the name of the film as well. Uh, the word Invictus is Latin for undefeated. It is also the name of a short poem um, that was written in 1875 by William Ernest Henley. Um, and Morgan Freeman did recite this um, throughout the movie However, he did replace one word uh, in the poem. Uh, He replaced the word chance with the word fate in the third line of the second stanza. And uh, according to some, or, you know, to some, um, this uh, ruined a bit of the rhyming uh, that was in the poem. And so that was the unfortunate part of that. But, um, yeah, I don't think that was any sort of loss uh, to just change one word. Mm, yeah i didn't i didn't notice it listen i talked about the movie's attention to detail your attention to detail is uh second to none mate that's uh that's fantastic well i do have a couple more but i might not mention them because there are quite a few but it is in turn and i think we've talked about these on like other episodes as well that you know you can't really help the time that they were filmed in and so like you know there was one instance where um, you know, the Springboks were entering the town for like a PR exercise and an election poster for Democratic Alliance leader Helen Zill can be seen. Um, she ran for office in 2008. And so, you know, not in 1995. Um, there was stuff like logos and stuff like, you know, whether it was on jerseys or balls or um, even signage um, that were just incorrect in terms of the time um, or like the manufacturing or um, just like the sponsorship and that sort of thing. Um, and so there's like plenty of those throughout the film and, uh, you know, you can definitely have a look at those online. Um, but uh, we won't get into those because there are uh, too many, um, such as my attention to t- detail, as you say, Stewie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just glad to hear that uh, directionally, as in north, south, east, west, everything was uh, spot on. <laughs> <laughs> sure we can we can continue with that um there are some errors in geography (laughs) we could go back to geography class with jason (laughs) i'll I'll give you one i'll give you one okay i know you couldn't help yourself i can see it in your eye yeah I'll, i'll give you one error in geography um, just after the final, when the crowds are celebrating and Nelson Mandela is being driven away from the stadium throughout the crowded streets, he would have been in uh, Johannesburg, of course, as that's where the game was played. However, a street sign for Loop Street is clearly visible um, as the street that the car turns into. Loop Street is one of the major streets in the centre of Cape Town, not Johannesburg. 
Jesus Christ. Lift your game, Clint Eastwood. My God. <laughs> you touched on before, Stewie, about the accents. Um, and mm-hmm. we will get into those in a bit more detail uh, when we talk about the cast, I think. But with uh, actors doing some accents, there might be some problems with their speech. And so, and just mm-hmm. like getting the South African accent correct. And so I have a couple of examples where this wasn't done correctly in terms of a South African accent. Uh, first instance is when uh, Francois is being escorted to security with T, uh, to T with Nelson Mandela. He refers to the mm-hmm. lieutenant as lieutenant, um, whereas South Africans would say lieutenant. Right. Okay. Shocking. <laughs> When Nelson Mandela's head bodyguard is passing out the schedule um, to the other bodyguards, he first calls it the schedule uh, using the British pronunciation, but a few moments later he calls it the schedule using the American pronunciation. What is the correct South African pronunciation, Jace? Uh, I don't know, but I'd go with uh, schedule. Okay, we'll go with that then. All right. All right, we'll move on now and look at how true to the sport uh, rugby union is depicted within the film. Um, I I said at the start as well that, like, I think that the shots of the rugby games, like, it made you feel like you were on the field. And, like, you know, like the camera, like, whether it was panning uh, throughout someone, whether it was tracking the ball, I think we even had a shot of, like, the ball coming straight towards the camera and then like a player getting into the shot and like catching the ball and, you know, the camera sort of following along with that at the time as well. Um, even if it was like starting mm-hmm. over top of the scrum and then like, uh, you know, lifting up and sort of becoming a bird's eye view. Like I think that everything like that um, to me was really, really good um, in terms of getting down to, you know, what was actually happening in a rugby union match and, I haven't gone to many rugby union matches myself. I haven't seen too many on TV, mm-hmm. um, but it definitely felt like I was right there in the thick of the action. And like from that, like sort of understood what was going on throughout a game. Yeah. Yeah. Like you like, I think we've both touched on this now. It, it was, uh, it was really beautifully shot. And uh, I think the, uh, the sporting scenes were, were sensational. Um, I haven't seen, like a lot of rugby i've seen a little bit um and i think uh yeah uh, i i think it was pretty true to the sport as true to the sport as you can get um when it's being choreographed for the for the uh for the big screen all right well you might live to uh regret that comment Stewie, because i do have some things that they did get wrong okay sure <laughs> <laughs> so when the south african rugby squad go to interact and play rugby with the children from the squatter settlements. A member of the squad asks a group of children who knows the rules of rugby. Who here knows the, the rules of rugby? Me. What is uh, it? You hit another player when the ref is not looking. <laughs> no, no, no. The first rule of rugby is you can only pass the ball backwards or sideways. All right? Should we practice that? Yes. Yeah. Right. Form a line. Let's go, boys. Mm-hmm. In, rugby, in rugby union, they are called laws. Um, and, an, and an international player would know that. Um, but in trying to understand, but in trying to explain the game to a group of children, I think like who are unfamiliar with rugby, I think that um, it would be a bit reasonable for them to use like a more everyday term like like rules. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I think that that was fine um, in terms of that sense. 
Um, but there are a couple of like players that we saw in there. Um, scrums are given the crouch, touch, pause, engage um, command by the referee. This command was added to the laws of rugby in 2007 to make scrums safer. Right. And just going back to the team teaching the kids, they're teaching them how to do lineups by lifting a player high to receive the ball. In 1995, the interpretation of that rule only allowed supporting the player. Um, modern rugby sees big lifts as portrayed in the film, but in 1995, you would only see smaller jumps. Well, you've given your evidence, Jason, but uh, I stand by my statement. Uh, okay. I think uh, I think it was pretty well shot and, uh, you know, there's a few things there, a few nitpicks, I might say, um, but uh, overall, broadly, it was uh, it was sensational. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you. I think that uh, you know we've established that um, you know I think th those minor things um, you know didn't really give away anything to like the story or anything like that. Um, it was just like how the player was allowed to develop on the screen, and um, yeah, I don't think that it really took any took away anything from uh, any of the particular scenes of the game. Yeah, yeah, no, nah, definitely didn't take away from anything, I don't think. All right, we'll now get into the cast of this movie, and I know that we're both pretty keen to talk about it, and so I'll just run you through the main uh, cast list, um, and obviously we had a whole host of supporting characters as well, and so we might touch on them. Uh, but the main cast, we had Morgan Freeman as Nelson Mandela, Matt Damon as Francois Pina, uh, Tony Karoji as Jason uh, Adjoa Ando as Brenda. Uh, we had McNeil Hendricks as Chester Williams, Scott Eastwood as Joel Skransky, Zach uh, Funati as Jonah Lumu, and uh, Grant L. Roberts as Ruben Kruger. Um, and we also had... Uh, a sports commentator that was Robin B. Smith playing Johan de Villiers. And so we had another, you know, a whole host of other people in terms of the team, the coaches, um, you know, Francois's uh, family as well. Um, mm. But yeah, is there anyone that you particularly want to touch on um, uh, in terms of their performance? Uh, in terms of performance, uh, you can't go um, further than Morgan Freeman. He was uh, sensational in this movie, absolutely incredible. Um, you know, I, I touched on this at the top of the podcast. Uh, who else could have played Nelson Mandela? He was fantastic. And, uh, you know, I think as far as the look of people, um, I think they definitely cast for how their real-life counterparts looks spectacularly well. Um, mm -hmm. Even Matt Damon seemed like a dead ringer for Francois Pinar. Um, that as far as the rugby players go, um, I don't know about the uh, I don't know about the others, but uh, yeah, yeah, definitely, um, yeah, and uh, I think like it's you know a real testament to you know Morgan Freeman and Matt Damon especially um, that they were able to portray these people, um, you know, really well. Um, I think that we sort of touched on a little bit in terms of uh, Morgan Freeman playing Nelson Mandela and. Um, you know, Stuart, you have a, a little bit of a tidbit about, you know, his casting um, as well. Absolutely. So this movie is very unique in that uh, Morgan Freeman specifically and Matt Damon also um, were both cast before 
there was anyone else on board. Um, they had those roles locked down. I did introduce the segment last week. Um, you know, um, what it might have looked like if there was some other people in major roles in the movie. And I did a fair bit of research trying to find anyone else who was even considered for those main two roles. And uh, there was nobody. And then, uh, uh, therefore, uh, I found out that um, they were cast before anyone else, before there was a director on board, anything like that. So uh, very, very unique movie in that regard. Yeah, and I think, like, you know, we spoke about it before as well, how um, Morgan Freeman had been trying to get a film about Nelson Mandela and, you know, had a pretty good relationship with him uh, anyway as well. And so Nelson Mandela uh, basically said that Morgan Freeman was the only person that could portray him as well. And so that um, led into him being cast um, as one of the first actors in the film. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, if the man himself... um can't think of anyone else to play himself <laughs> um you know who are we to object mate yeah that's right yeah um and i think like yeah just touching on like how well morgan freeman actually got into the role um morgan freeman is left-handed but nelson mandela is actually right-handed and so freeman trained himself to write well with his right hand um for the scenes where he's seen to be writing for the most accurate portrayal that's incredible. That's the dedication to your craft right there. Yeah, some more dedication to his craft. Um, Nelson Mandela's personal assistant, Zelda Lagrange, apparently asked Morgan Freeman to stop walking like Mandela so that she could tell the difference between the two. That's how good it was. <laughs> incredible. Yeah. Um, and we've spoken a bit about, like, the accents and the, like, way of speech. Um Morgan Freeman prepared for the role by watching some tapes of Nelson Mandela to perfect his accent and his rhythm of speaking. Um, on the most difficult part of Mandela's charisma, which could not be duplica duplicated, Morgan Freeman said, I wanted to avoid acting like him. I needed to be him, and that was the biggest challenge. When you meet Mandela, you know you are in the presence of greatness. It is something that just emanates from him. He moves people for the better. That is his calling in life. Some call it the Mabida magic. I'm not sure that magic can be explained. <laughs> um, I mean, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Um, and that's uh, the little tidbit you said before, um, that bit there where uh, they asked him to stop walking like him. That's yeah. incredible. That is absolutely <laughs> phenomenal. <laughs> yeah. Um, some bits of information in terms of Matt Damon getting into the role of uh, of Francois. Um, he received intensive coaching from Chester Williams, the real Chester Williams at Gardens Rugby oh, Club, wow. um, to be as uh, accurate as a rugby player as he could be. He actually made a visit to his house um, to ask him for assistance preparing for the role. Um when Matt Damon got to the house, um, Peanut answered the door and for a few minutes they simply looked up at each other and then Damon, who cannot boast the size of Peanut, said, I look much bigger on camera. <laughs> That's funny. Matt Damon did inform uh, Clint Eastwood about uh, Peanut's direct, uh, distinct physique, um, saying, you know, this guy is huge and Eastwood replied, hell, you worry about anything else, let me worry about that and 
By structuring setups and camera angles, Eastwood was able to make the average height daemon look about Pino's height. Incredible. That's uh, just a bit of magic on all sides of the camera there, mate, isn't it? Um, and just finishing this off as well with a couple of cameos, I guess. Uh, you may have heard me say the name of Scott Eastwood um, mm -hmm. in that cast list before. He played fly half Joel Stransky, um, who scored all of the Springboks points in the final, um, including the winning drop goal. And that was true. Um, in the final, both teams um, only had one point scorer for the whole game. Um, Incredible. Scott Eastwood is Clint Eastwood's son. And so uh, he found a role for him in this movie. Absolutely. Nepotism at his finest there, mate. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> and McNeil Hendricks, he played Chester Williams in this movie. He's actually a real rugby player. Um, he was capped twice for South Africa in 1998, and he'd been a professional rugby player. He'd played with teams such as the Blue Bulls and Western Province. Interesting. Yeah, fantastic. It's uh, great when you get that authenticity of a real-life player uh, into a terrific movie like this. Just adds to it, I think. Yeah, it does. All right, our next uh, segment asks if there was any relatable character to you in this movie, whether it was the character themselves, maybe a characteristic of the, this particular character, or maybe it was just a line that the character said. Was there anyone uh, throughout Invictus for you in that regards to it? Uh, I don't think so specifically, but I will um, just harken back to something I said earlier in the podcast where, um, you know, um, it would just be great if there was more politicians with the same uh, thought process or, or, or I don't know how to describe it. Maybe it's the Madiba magic of, uh, of Nelson Mandela, um, you know, um, that would just be fantastic. Yeah. The way you unified that country um, was something to behold. And, uh, you know, we're pretty lucky to have lived at the same time as uh, such a spectacular man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that, yeah, for me, like, it's just about, like, this person that, you know, is so invested in um, a particular sport. And, you know, while all of his, like, sort of matters should be elsewhere or, like, you know, focusing on other things, like, it does just always come back to sport. Like, that was, that became, I guess, his passion, um, Nelson, Nelson Mandela's passion to get the Springboks to that World Cup and get them into a winning team. And, um he uh, dedicated a lot of his time to that. And I think that that's sort of the same with me. Like I might have a billion other things going on, but for me, like sport takes focus most of all. <laughs> all right. We are coming to the end of the episode now. And so we ask the prompt, if you could have a rugby union movie get made, what would it be and why? So Stuart, do you have an idea for this particular segment? You bastard. You always <laughs> make me go first. <laughs> Listen, you'll be surprised though, Jace. I do have one prepared. Um, I think it's one everyone at home is going to know what I'm going to say here. But uh, the 2003 World Cup, Johnny Wilkinson um, scoring the goal in extra time to beat Australia on home soil, uh, on Australian home soil, home soil for us, Jace. Um, that's the one for me, mate. Nice. Yeah, no, I like that. I was uh, expecting you to say something like, you know, Nelson Mandela's autobiography and just like <laughs> the union in it. <laughs> <laughs> what have you got, mate? Yeah. Um, honestly, like the only thing that I could think of, and I obviously like to bring it back to like an Australian perspective as well. Um, and obviously mm -hmm. 
for me, not uh, knowing too much about rugby, but still understanding a bit of it. Um, I'd just love to see, uh, you know, like the whole one one aspect of like you know rugby union that I want to see is how like you know you can properly like sustain an Australian league. And so like I know that um, I don't know if it's the case now. Like I think it is, um, but I know that you know when I I have been to a few Melbourne Rebels games, and so like I know that like a couple of years ago at least, like you know there were teams in this competition that came from Australia, from New Zealand, from Argentina and I think another country, another Asian South Africa. Yeah. Oh, okay. And like, yeah, just like, you know, maybe how like, you know, maybe the Australian competition really needed that, you know, outside presence from other teams to be a bit sustainable um, Mm -hmm. in a country where, you know, rugby union perhaps is, you know, at the lower level of like, you know, the football codes here at least. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting that uh, Australia, who just, we we churn out sports leagues. We've got so many of them. AFL, NRL, A-League, uh, NBL. Um, we've got a National Baseball League, right? Yeah, we do, the ABL. Yeah, so, you know, um, we just, we managed, we've got such a small population, but we managed to have all these professional sports leagues. It's a, it is an interesting um, outlier, rugby union. Yeah, well, like, the only other reference that I can give is, like, you know, um, the ABL as well. Like, you know, we have a team called Geelong Korea, which is made up of predominantly the Korean players who play in their um, KBO off-season. And so, you know, like, that's the only other example that I can give of uh, a team, um, you know, based in Australia, I guess, but, you know, made up of um, players from other countries and, you know, just helping grow the sport here. But... Um, yeah, in terms of teams being based in other countries as well, um, you know, rugby union um, is uh, very different in that regard. Absolutely. All right, that does now bring us to the end of the episode. So, Stuart, would you like to share your social media handles and any other place where our listeners can find you? Absolutely. You can find me at Stewie is sick of it on Twitter. Um, you can find me at Stewie the Sports Guy on Instagram and TikTok. Still only the one TikTok. Um, but I'm working on it. I am working on it. <laughs> you can also hear me on After Extra Time, the World Football Podcast. And, you know, drop into Goals on Film. I'm here most weeks. So listen to me here too, Goals on Film. Yeah, well, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, uh, at Jason Irves, the handle for all three of those. I have a bit more than one TikTok video, so you can definitely um, – Go on a bit of a uh, watching spree of my videos. One of my videos actually just ticked over 10K views. I was very happy with that. Oh, congratulations. Um, thank you. Yeah, it's a great achievement. I was waiting, like, I think I released it like two years ago as well, and I've been waiting for it to get to this point. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to contribute to getting it to 11K, go over and watch that video. Uh, but, of course, you can listen to me on uh, Calls on the Film every week. You have been listening to Goals on Film. You can find Goals on Film on Twitter and Instagram at Goals on Film Pod. Goals on Film is part of the Edge of the Crowd network. You can find Edge of the Crowd on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, and TikTok at Edge of the Crowd. You can also view any of our stories, be it sport, culture, or politics, on our website, www.edgeofthecrowd.com. Until next week, thanks for listening. <laughs>